Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate this. <laughs> I do think I have to tell this story. And I appreciate you letting me see your face because when I say things that make people cringe, I need to know that. And so sometimes I think it's good to get sort of a human reaction. <clears throat> At least that's my theory. All right. So to value your time, and because it is 10 o'clock, let's get started. I'm doing a natural narrative. I, I already gave you sort of a trigger warning. So you kind of know what's coming. This story takes place in 90, in the mid-90s, all right? Let's just say mid-90s for now. And I had just gotten to Taiwan. I had I'd gotten my master's degree, taught a year. You know, all my advisors said, you'll never get a job because they tell everybody you'll never get a job because that's what they tell you if you go to college. I, I don't know why grad school in English departments, they do that. I just, I got a job. And uh, then I discovered that I could go overseas and I could get paid to teach English as a second language. And I had always wanted to see the world. I grew up in Kansas, I farm boy sort of thing, middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I've never really, I had never lived in a town until um, I went to college at, Fort, at Hayes. And that was like a town of like 15,000 people. And to me, that was huge. But anyway, I got my master's and I went overseas. I was in Taiwan. One of my first classes was this group of like nine women. And they were adorable. They were wonderful. There were at least one or two were about college age, were quite young, younger than me. But the majority were housewives. And they just got together twice a week for English classes. They'd go afterwards, they'd go and they practice their English. And really, it was the perfect class for, I mean, one of the things they don't tell you about college professors is a lot of us have no background in teaching. I did not. My, I got my master's in English and I was, boom, thrown into a classroom teaching English, but I didn't know how to teach English. This was the perfect class for me because I basically I just had to show up and, you know, they were all eager to talk. All I had to do was keep them talking. We had a great rapport. We got along great. I remember. And the thing is, there's this one story. There was this guy who joined the class for a day or two, a short while, and he asked a really inappropriate question of one of the young, younger girls in front of the mothers. Well, I shouldn't call them the mothers, I suppose, but he asked her if she was a virgin which was really inappropriate. And he's, oh, I'm just practicing my English, right? Oh, she laid into him. And I'm just, you asshole. I don't think she said that. I think she called him a jerk, but oh, what? He was offended. It's like, well, I'm just practicing my English too. It was hilarious. But they were, they were a tight group. And, and, and then one day we had a new student. We didn't get too many new students that stayed very long, but this, this group of nine, they were, they were tight. One day this young lady shows up and she's wearing a conservative dress, skirt to the knee, it was, it was a, a sort of a suit, sort of professional uniform kind of thing, but not like, I, I remember, I'm not good with colors anyway, I'm colorblind. I, I see, I don't see green so well, but I, I'm pretty sure it was just kind of grays or dark blues, but they didn't want to sit next to her. They didn't mix together very well. And later after class, one of them came up and said, she's a piano girl. And I'm like, what? And okay, there's, I almost feel like there's another story I have to tell you because Taiwan is so conservative and that mean, and you know, socially and everything, they're very conservative. I didn't find out until I had just found out, I guess, because before I could teach legally, I had to leave the country and come back. And I sat next to a guy on the airplane who explained that what, what the barbershops really were. If you Google barbershop in Taiwan or China, you'll find out that a lot of them are fronts for uh, prostitution. I had not realized every block has one. You know, if you see a barbershop, some of them actually do cut hair, but if they have smoked windows and carpet on the floor, they don't really cut hair. And it's like, suddenly, like, what? You know, I'll, I've been living there for two, three months, and I had no idea that right across the street was a brothel, basically. 
and they never tell you these things. You know, I ask one of my, my coworkers, like, why didn't anyone tell, why did you need to know? Why do you care? You know, why is it in your business? It, it was one of those kind of things. And so when they told me she was a piano girl, I was kind of like, huh? And they kind of, Chinese people are really indirect. It's like playing it safe. It's kind of like lawyers talk, you know, they talk around a subject. They don't say I'm hungry. They'll say, hmm, are you hungry? Do you like pizza? It's like, I, I would, it took me forever to figure out that they're, they're actually asking a different question. But anyway, so they made it pretty clear. One of the women, I don't remember which one, made it very clear, probably the youngest one, that whatever she did was inappropriate, that they, she goes to other people's houses, to men's houses, and plays piano. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay. Um, well, she didn't feel comfortable in her class, so she dropped the class. But then she went to my boss, and my boss said that she wanted to retain me as a private tutor. And I was supposed to go to her... Uh, house. I think we might have met at, I, we might have met at a coffee shop or something first because I can't find things. But very quickly, I was going to her house once a week for one-on-one -on -one lessons, hour and a half. And again, all I had to do basically was keep talking. Or better yet, I saw myself as more successful when I got other people to talk because they needed to practice their English. They didn't need to listen to me. They can listen to TV. What they, they really needed was to, to practice speaking. And so... I would just go and try and to be honest, it was kind of a racket. Um, I was getting paid, which for me at the time was pretty good money. I was getting paid like 30 bucks an hour and they, she would buy me breakfast and she would just talk to me and, you know, and uh, she did a lot of the talking. I remember that uh, at one time she, she wanted to show me a picture of her. She said it was her nephew, I think. She just got really emotional. This young child, this young boy. And she had a picture of her with him, you know, he was like three or four. And I remember wondering, maybe it's her kid and she just doesn't want to come out and say it. But I didn't press. I'm, I don't know if I'm good, if that's good or bad, but my personality is a lot of times if people say things that are awkward, I'll just sort of like not react. I, I'll remember it. But if I don't know what to say, sometimes mostly I'll say nothing, which isn't, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's kind of the way I, I dealt with it. She had a roommate. She shared a room. It's a nice apartment. And her roommate would be there for her class sometimes, but she was always sleeping because they, they worked late. Whatever they did, they stayed up late. And she was like 15 or 16. I remember she told me that her roommate, her roommate didn't speak English for, at all. And this young lady's English was good, which can be an advantage if you're in the, well. Like I said, I, I don't know if I believed it at the time. I just, I didn't know how to process it. So I just sort of like put it in a compartment of my brain and like, whatever, this is a class. And I didn't overexamine the fact that basically I'm getting paid well and provided, treated well, being provided food. Basically, I just have to chat, hang out. It was very pleasant. And I didn't have a lot of work that time. Uh, but I remember she told me that her, her roommate had had an abortion. And I remember thinking, hmm, I don't know why you need to tell me that. But she was quite, the, when the roommate was awake, she was quite brassy and brazen. And, you know, she, my Chinese was pretty damn low. At that point and her English was a lot is equal to my Chinese you know but you know she my student would translate for her a little bit she was a bit forward I remember that I don't know how I, for a couple of months you know I taught this class one-on-one -on -one basically and I remember she told me one story once about wanting to fly away and if you've ever listened to the song Dirty Boulevard by Lou Reed which one of the you know it's a character of there, there's several personas in that story that are victims of the city so to speak and that's the chorus is i want to fly 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 away you know they want to escape i felt like she was starting to get 
like sit closer to me than might have been comfortable, but I'm also really good at compartmentalizing. And I never, it never crossed my mind to have like for it to be in like an inappropriate relationship because for me, work is work. And I had a girlfriend who later became my wife and I was serious um, about her still am. I remember so it's starting to get a little uncomfortable that way, but I'm pretty good at ignoring that kind of thing. And then one day this guy shows up in a suit, just knocks on the door, walks in like you own the place. And she was, he did not look happy to see me. And she and her roommate translated that he was the guy who sold her or provided outfits. Like for their work, they needed evening gowns, specialized clothing, that kind of thing. And he was there to take orders and showed them a book of pictures of clothing. And he arranged that. After that, she had to cancel our classes. And it was abruptly, boom, no, no more classes. Then one day I was walking down the street with the woman who'd later become my wife. And she ran up to me, you know, she had been in a, in a jewelry store and small jewelry stores in Taiwan and China at the time, this is 20, 30 years ago, probably the same today. I don't know. But jewelry stores were great places to change money, launder money. You know, if you want to get a good deal on exchange rate in China, I, I would go to a, a, a jewelry store rather than the bank because the bank trades money according to what the government says the exchange rate is which is never the real exchange rate. You go to a, a jewelry shop, you can get a much better deal. You can save a little money. But she had been sitting in the jewelry shop. She saw me, didn't recognize I was with anybody. She ran out and talked to me and like, oh. And she realized I was with my wife and things got super awkward. I remember my wife going, what? But after that, she sort of disappeared, I guess. I mean, it's a big city I was living in. Shinju's got millions, a million five people at least then. No one really knew because it was so packed. And I got one other phone call from her later. And she was, had, after this, suddenly abruptly, they had moved her to another city, another town in the sticks, another mountain in the mountains somewhere. I don't know where. I can't remember where. I probably wouldn't have recognized the name of the town at the time because I was so new to the country. But, you know, it was late at night and she was sad. I think I might have got a couple calls from her late at night. She was sad. And uh, I don't remember what exactly she said, but. I got the feeling that she had been moved to another city, but that she got too close to a teacher, to me. Now, later I talked to some other people. I guess that part of the story is over. Later I talked to some people, a guy who had worked with uh, someone that he knew was in the sex trade. And the things he said about how they just want to talk and how sort of the, the emotional attachments and that kind of thing, what they wanted from relationships. And it sort of made, it's like, whoa, there were so many similarities. And, you know, when he just laughed at me when he found out that, you know, oh, yeah, she's buying you drinks, coffee. She's buying, yeah, she bought me coffee or breakfast. Like every time we went over there, she would, he, he said it was a role reversal. She was in a way sort of treating me the way she would have liked her customers to treat her, I suppose. And the thing is, it wasn't, I mean, well, I guess in a way, the first student who told me she was, and the person who told me she was a piano girl was judgmental as hell. I could tell she didn't, they didn't want her, they didn't like her. And I get, and so I, I mean, I had been told. But I didn't, and I was in a country where I didn't speak the language that well. I didn't know anybody. This was, you know, beyond my grasp pretty much. And uh, so I, I think I just haven't really dealt with it. I haven't really thought about it, but it's always been there. I mean, I remember her. I've always sort of wondered, and I think that it just would have been too painful for me to really come to grips with the thought that maybe I could have done something. I don't know what I could have done. Okay, the end of a natural narrative is just talk about what you've learned about the experience. I 
I just hope that if it ever happens again, that I can, I mean, I've had a couple students that you kind of wonder, but it's never been so clear. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is why I find the subject of missing and exploited women in Native American culture so interesting and why people say, why do you care? Maybe I'm carrying some guilt. Maybe I feel some responsibility for someone that I could have helped and I never did. Okay, what do you think? Is there, are there questions you think I need to answer? There's, there's probably some things I'm glossing over. Do you have a reaction or? or have you ever like tried to look for her? Like, I don't even remember her name. And now this is like yeah. 30 years ago. My God. And to be honest, I was probably scared because I think yeah. I was worried that if I help her, it, she, she becomes my problem. Yeah. And this sounds so selfish, and maybe this is why I waited to tell this story, that maybe it was sort of petty or cowardly of me. But then again, what, there were a couple situations. There's another story kind of similar to this where I dealt with some child abuse. I had a student who was abused, but that's another story for another time, and I don't know if anyone's interested in that. I feel like I have to tell that story too, but being an outsider, being, you know, I'd probably self-serving a little bit in my rationalizations. You know, maybe I'm trying to to convince myself or talk to myself or think in a way that allows me to maintain some self-respect. Yeah. I, she never, she always called me after she got moved to another town. And I think that part of me was like, oh, this can't, another thing, I was, I was a 20 something year old kid from Kansas, farm boy. Yeah. Exciting, interesting, weird things aren't supposed to happen. You know, they'd never happened to me before. So I wasn't ready to really believe it. It just, there was a certain sense of not realness to it. But again, I, right now, I feel like what I'm doing with you is rationalizing. That was a really good question. That was a really good question. Really good questions are sometimes really hard, to, often really hard to answer or painful. Do you have another, any really good questions? I'm going to have to think about that one and, and include that sort of reaction. Why did, why didn't I follow up? Why didn't I try and reach out? Why? I don't know. That's just so really, like, I mean, at the time, if you were young, I probably wouldn't even thought, you know, I would have never thought about that. Like, you just, I guess, like, when you're younger, you're, like, so innocent, and your mind is so innocent, and you would never really think things, like, I don't know. Well, there's a, I think it might have been Maya Angelou. Yeah. Or Angela Davis, one of them, I think it was Maya Angelou, said that when people tell you what they are, believe them and I've always sort of attributed that to like you know nasty people rude yeah. narcissists that kind of thing but thing is what did she tell me we kept oh there was another part of this story I guess I remember one day you know when I would go to her to her to her house which was a studio apartment that she shared with somebody else she shared a bed queen-size bed with that others that other girl but I remember one day she had some bruises do I need to tell you where they were yeah. They were on her. She was wearing like house when you're in your house shorts um, and t-shirt and her bruises were on thigh. I used to wrestle in college, in high school, grade school, whatever. You know, I wrestled. So when I see bruises, I can imagine how they got there. And I remember I said, so how'd you get those bruises? You know, which might've been the wrong thing to say. I don't, she was, did not like the question. And she said, that's one of those questions. You never ask those questions. Never ask that question, which seems like, Maybe, maybe in a way I tried to have that conversation and yeah. I'm not sure it was appropriate or not. And sometimes in these situations, I'm not sure, how do you examine your, how do you really know what your motives are? 
You know, I mean, we, we tend to imagine our own motives are the best and other people's motives are terrible, even though we, the, the same activity or behavior might happen. Maybe it was none of my, hmm. No, I think it was, it looked like the sort of thing that gets when someone manhandles you, you know, and someone's throwing you around. And uh, I mean, that also happened with Johnny, the little boy I was telling you about with the abuse story. He had uh, bruises on his upper arm, which, you know, when you wrestle, you, you grab people by the upper arm and jerk them around. So, you know, those are finger bruises. I could, you know, I recognized them, which got me in trouble. Because, and I think, I don't know, I think that happened. I think this story happened before the Johnny story. You know, um, there's a powerlessness in that. I, things like abuse, they're, they're hard patterns to break. It, yeah. it, it, hmm, hmm. You're doing, you're giving me a great feedback, by the way. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to say or ask or, or question? Um, kind of interested in the other girl. I know you said she had a roommate. Yeah, did she was disappear or did skinny, she... very pretty. Yeah. Huh? Did she like... She bad teeth? Uh, no, just the details I remember, you know. Um, she was very pretty, bad teeth, bottle mouth, um, I think, probably. You know, because the front teeth... Are... What, were you, what was your question? I cut you off. Did she, um, like, have you... I know you said the other girl, the the one, the piano girl. Like, yeah. She moved. They were both piano girls. Have you? They both like, worked for the same people. So did her roommate end up moving too, or did you ever? I have like, no idea. I mean, I after I was, I mean, there's no reason for me to show up at their door. Yeah. I was employed by the first one. Maybe for this story, maybe I have to make up an alias for, so I keep people, people straight. Mm -hmm. I can call the first woman, I don't know, Majuline or something. Okay. <laughs> um, I could give her an English name. Everybody liked to have English names back then. So that might be a good idea because for one thing, it would pseudonyms, fake names would protect the innocent. But the thing is, I'd show up at the door at the right time. I didn't really call them. And back in the day, I don't think I had a, I didn't have my own phone then. That's probably something I need to talk about. I bet people can't imagine what that's like. But back then, there were no cell phones. I had not yet purchased a pager. But there was a coin-operated phone in my dorm. I lived in a dorm. Actually, there was another girl. That's another story for another time. Who lived in my dorm? It was similarly, I think, engaged in that business. And I remember when she disappeared one night. The next day, some guys showed up in tracksuits, and one of them showed me the butt of a gun. And I remember thinking, "Ooh, that's interesting. I'll sit hell out of that." But, but again, that's probably a different story. I don't know. I, I, when I tell a natural narrative, sometimes I wonder how much background do people need or maybe i need to but that would be a short story i never knew that girl i never talked to her she just lived in yeah. the same floor of the dormitory but she worked at nights and always wore evening dresses and we get picked up in very nice cars so knowing what i know now she was probably similarly engaged in that kind of business when she disappeared people were quite upset you know i, I one of the reasons i wanted to go overseas was to have interesting things happen so that i could have interesting stories but then I came back and realized most people don't want to hear them. When is it appropriate? But I think maybe that's one of the reasons I really like natural narratives. Everybody's got an interesting story. And a lot, and so often people don't realize their own story is interesting. Like to me, this story isn't that interesting. And it kind of reflects poorly on me. But maybe someone else might think it's it's not. Yeah. Something this one. Do you think it's an important story? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, Why? I mean, especially if you still like... If you, I feel like if you felt the need to tell the story after so many years, then it's an important story. Personally important. Yeah. But would it be important to anyone else? Um, I think so. Why? Because of 
things or the signs that you saw, like now thinking like you could have helped her, like maybe like, you know, there's a lot of like details that you said about her or like the things she wore, the things she said, the bruises that she had. Now, when I look at somebody or if I see the same thing, I'm going to instantly think back at the story that you told me. Kind of like awareness, I would say. That's good. Yeah. That reminds me of something I read recently about um, identifying trafficked victims by tattoos. It was an interesting article I read not long ago. And it's talking about signs and things to look for. Okay, for most people, the way we write, we, the story, the, pro, the, the writing process starts by thinking and then it goes to talking to somebody else. And then that, that, that all happens before you start writing stuff down. So the talking about stories, telling somebody you trust, who trusts you, is hugely important. Thank you so much.